so when you know the the term BAME is is now not not used, and I think that's a, a correct decision because to treat everybody as a homogenous group yeah. is is quite you know there's so many differences between the different racial groups that effectively going everyone who isn't white gets lumped together is ultimately it becomes a, a, a fairly damaging thought process because by assuming that everybody thinks the same you begin to treat people the same and even within the sort of the the cultural background characteristics of those different groups there are so many different beliefs and different um different ways of doing things that it becomes a, a quite a quite a dangerous situation to start, start assuming that people will behave a certain way my name is johnny ball and i'm the founder of campaign force a not-for-profit that inspires trains and coaches the armed forces community to stand up and serve again i've served on the front line of military operations and in civilian life the front line of uk politics This Veterans in Politics podcast is a set of interviews brought to you by Campaign Force and sets out to explore how the military community can help make our politics a better place. I lean into my little black book of contacts and sit down with individuals from across the world of politics, sharing secrets, giving tips and advice and inspiring the next generation. We are Campaign Force. This is the Veterans in Politics podcast. This podcast has been sponsored by Salesforce, the world's number one CRM, enabling companies of every size and industry to digitally transform and connect with their customers in a whole new way through a single view of customer data and real-time insights that create personalized experiences and drive cost savings. Salesforce is proud to be a gold member of the Employee Recognition Scheme of the Armed Forces Covenant and is dedicated to its support to the military community. Internally, they run an initiative called VetForce, which is an internal employee alliance, and it actively champions an inclusive environment for veterans and military families through education, philanthropy, and currently has close to 5,000 members globally. There's also an external program called Salesforce Military, which provides free enablement and recognised qualifications in the Salesforce ecosystem that can lead to employment in the industry post-service. This offer is open to serving personnel and their partners, as well as veterans. It's absolutely brilliant to be able to catch up with Ben Obzijekti, who is a veteran of the army and also pretty much a veteran of politics, having fought <laughs> a few elections. Uh, how are you, mate? How's it going, this party conference? I'm good. Like? First day conference, so I'm still warming up, but uh, it's going well so far. Cool. So just flexing your political muscles at the moment. And we were talking about earlier on, you're kind of entry into politics recently um that you stood against a certain diane abbott in the parliamentary parliamentary election um how's that experience for you um as far as as far as first campaigns fought go um something of a a sort of a a baptism of fire if you like um being put against what was then shadow shadow labor front bench um in your first election um yeah the, the 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 learning curve was steep uh crampons definitely essential um but a pretty rewarding experience i think going into it with perhaps no illusions as to whether or not you were you were going to be victorious um perhaps manages your expectation um in a good way um but it does allow you to to really cut your teeth and try and find out what things you're good at what things you're not so good at um and to to really sort of take as much as you can from the experience um in the hope that that you'll learn from that and that hopefully next time around you can apply some of those lessons better to make those 
mistakes there than uh, than perhaps on a on a platform where it's going to be more costly okay perhaps we'll pick up on some of those lessons uh because this podcast veterans in politics is all about inspiring people like yourself who haven't got the experience that you've been through and just share some of those stories so um before we get into all of that though it'd be just really good to understand a little bit about your military backgrounds your motivations for joining the army in the first place because i'm sure that many of our listeners um will identify with your military story too so can you just tell us a little bit about why on earth did you join the armed forces in the first place so i don't come from a, a military background at all um, uh, well, in as far as my, my grandfather served in the Second World War, um, so sort of much like many people of my age, um, I had that, that sort of that brief connection to, to the sort of that generation. Um, my, my grandfather was a, was a desert rat, um, and, and so I, I grew up with a sort of a faint knowledge of the Second World War, Second World War films, but I was a real, I was one of those kids who was really into sort of toy soldiers, army comics you know I, probably in my parents loft i've got still got a box full of commando comics um i had all the airfix models um all, all that kind of good stuff boxes full of action man so i was really really into the military and i think my my parents were always slightly fearful that at one at some point i would get that that real buzz and that desire to join the army and um and for a long time it never really came i, I didn't i wasn't surrounded by people who who had military experience and could tell me about it and could sort of pushed me in that direction. Um, so I went to university, um, did economics, um, got a job as a trainee accountant. And very quickly after a year of being a trainee accountant, I think I found that, that perhaps this wasn't the life for me. I can understand that. <laughs> it was, it, it was, it was hard. It was, it wasn't that exciting. I hadn't, I hadn't had a gap year myself. Um, so I think I'd, I really felt like I'd slightly missed out on some sort of element of adventure. And by chance, somebody that I worked with was uh, in the TA. Um, and through him, um, I, I sort of I met a load of his friends that he'd been to university with, who were the, by now uh, regular officers. Um, and I think it was the Army-Navy game. I think I went 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 along to that with, with him. Now that is a baptism of fire. Yeah, another baptism of fire. Yeah. So that was another, another first. Um, but I think what really got me there was that sort of, this was, it was this group of mates um, who were having a whale of a time um, and it looked like the sort of environment that I very much saw myself in and, and probably that I very much wanted for myself. And I guess that ties back to the sort of the recent army campaigns for sort of this is belonging, which, which perhaps sounded a little bit cheesy, but, but I can, I can fully understand why they appeal to people. Um, because I think that's effectively what, what sort of reawaken that, that passion and desire within myself. So, um, off I went and thought, well, you know what? I don't much fancy doing this next round of accountancy exams. Um, maybe I should just apply for the army instead. Uh, and so threw my hat in the ring and, and that was me committed on, onto that, that journey, RCB, Sandhurst and the rest is history. Wow. So um, after Sandhurst, where did you end up next? So I commissioned to the Duke of Wellington's regiment, which is uh, now part of the Yorkshire regiment um, and went off to, to platoon commander's battle course, spent four months crawling around uh, Brecon in the wet and the cold. Nice. So cold, so very cold. Um, and then uh, then went on to do the armoured infantry course as well, um, which was which was great fun, actually, just sort of charging around Salisbury Plain uh, in Warrior. Uh, and then um, went off to, to Germany and joined my battalion. Um, so they were in Osnabrück at the time. Um, and that was... That was good. The, the battalion itself had just come back from Telic, from Telic 5. Um, so there was an element of feeling as if I'd slightly missed out on that. Um, and the opportunity then arose to go out as a uh, battle casualty replacement on Telic 7 uh, with the King's Own Royal Border Regiment. Um, and so off I went to uh, to Basra, uh, based in the Shat, doing um, 
GDA mortar base plate patrols, uh, and then and then going up north to to train the uh, the Iraqi army, Iraqi Phase One, wow. um, which was which was quite an experience. How old were you? Where were you then? I must have been twenty. 24, 24 years old. So pretty formative experiences. And it's really interesting you mentioned Germany um, and also some regiments that no longer exist because they've been amalgamated. So you've kind of straddled that progression of the of the British Army. Many people say that Germany is the soul or was the soul of the British Army. Did, how did you enjoy Germany? What was the experience? I mean, Germany Germany was great because it was, it, it was, it was that one foot in the kind of what you what I understand of the British Army of the Rhine and that kind of post war British British forces still based in Germany sort of fight, preparing to fight the Cold War and it was very much the last the last throes of that before moving back to the UK sort of refocusing the army in itself towards operations in in Iraq and Afghanistan um, so I, I wasn't there for very long in Germany but but I did get a taste for what what life perhaps had been like for the previous sort of five to ten years um and it was yeah it was it was it was an experience it was it was certainly it was everything that you'd imagine the army to be then and, and i guess that was quite a long time ago now to be honest um and so and looking back on it, it it feels it feels like a different era as well i guess it kind of reinforced that sense that that pull that you had into the armed forces that sense of belonging and um, from what i i never served in germany myself but from some of my friends that did they really sensed that the whole community of the armed forces because obviously you're away um living abroad um it really kind of guess cemented that sense of belonging at that unit level yeah i mean you're 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 in another country you've only really got your immediate you sort of friends in the in the battalion to to sort of to, um to hang around with um you you know you don't go home at the weekend or at least i didn't i know the lads um did the the dash from north germany to all the way back to yorkshire every weekend which you know hats off to those guys um but but in terms of sort of having that experience of being away from home really discovering who you are as an as an adult really um and and you know within an environment that you're leader of men you're preparing to go away on operations um it was yeah very very formative um and something that that perhaps doesn't exist so much in today's today's armed forces um but still something that, that i really value and, and was really formative for me and how and when you went away on that first tour what was it like for your family uh it was i think it was very hard for them actually um I went I went off so I didn't obviously deploy with the rest of the battalion because I was going as a replacement and I remember getting dropped off uh Rutland Water um I think it's Luffenham Luffenham Barracks yeah, yeah. um so I got dropped off there um it was basically the middle of the night and my my, my parents had driven me up there um and my my mum doesn't cry a lot but but she just she just cried when she said goodbye um because I guess in from her pers- you know I didn't I didn't really have that that sensation but from her perspective she might never see me again um I think that was that was a little bit difficult. It wasn't something that I necessarily thought about, but it makes you realise that the decisions you make in terms of joining the army are, to a certain degree, slightly selfish ones. Oh, I've used that phrase before. It's weird, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> but you don't you you forget or you don't anticipate the impact that those decisions that, that seem quite straightforward to you in terms of I'm joining the army, I'm going to Iraq, no big deal. Um, where in reality, sort of your mother isn't immersed in the military sort of mindset hasn't gone through training isn't aware of perhaps the risks as, as much as, as as other people are and therefore you know the impact it has on them is this is what i see on the news and i can't believe my little boy is going off to do that um, so it, it's that that moment was quite sobering for me i think yeah i'm really identified with that i remember coming back from r&r from afghanistan and um going back oh i can i can picture it now 
saying goodbye to my then girlfriend, now wife, uh, was just painful. It was awful. And that drive to Bryce Norton to then fly back out to theatre uh, was was horrible. Um, so, yeah, we often overlook the impacts that I know it's genuine service, right? But it's actually a self selfish endeavour in some ways because we're doing it. We love it. Um, yeah, we want to do it. We volunteered for it. No one told us to do it. We didn't get conscripted. Uh, but it's the impact it has on those we leave behind. And I think we podcasts like this need to remind our audience of that every now and again. Um, that the spouses, the partners, the mums, the dads that really support us on the home base, that we need to make sure that they're catered for when we deploy in operations. So you did that tour. Um, and then how did the rest of your military career pan out for you? Um, so I uh, came, came back from Iraq. Um, and, and that was, it wasn't, it was by no means the most difficult tour of, of Iraq that anybody had. Um, but but it did, it did have an effect on me. I think when I came back, I think, I think my views on on just simple things had changed slightly. I think I'd I'd probably become more grown up. Um, I think just being in that environment, um, being around the sort of things that we had to do there and the operations that were going on, it does very much focus the mind and, and it makes you realise sort of, it, for want of a better phrase, it no longer is a game. Yeah. You know, you've 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 been on operations you've seen what's necessary and 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 what the realities of the realities of war are um and i think that very much sort of crystallizes any of those thoughts and, and, and feelings that you have um so after after i came back from iraq i went off to i think phase one training um i did two years at, at uh, atc purbright um training um training sort of remy and who else uh gunners um mostly Remy Airtex. I was in a, in a Remy training company, yeah. um, which was hilarious because it was me. I had a platoon sergeant from the Royal Highland Fusiliers. I had um, corporals, for, section commanders from uh, the Anglians and the, uh, the Argonne Southern Highlanders. And, uh, and I was just, I was prepared to make my Remy Airtex the alliest, uh, most infantry focused um, Remy Airtex that, that there had ever been. And by the end of the, by the end of training, they all had, uh, proper webbing so, yeah away, oh, totally squared away sort of full infantry webbing um i remember we did our final exercise on hankley common and it's meant to just be a section pepper pot section attack like bish bash bosh done um but i planned out a full advance to con days advance to contact across hankley common and we bumped into another unit and they said what infantry uh what infantry unit nice. are you and uh it's like phase fa read me phase one and they're just like <laughs> these guys it's like yeah Okay, so <laughs> any any Remy out there that experienced that and then do right into the show uh, and so any real alley looking blokes and girls uh, walking around with their kit squared away then you, you, you and your team of angry infantiers are to blame um, no it's a really rewarding role in it in a training establishment I've done that myself um, it's you know it's very tangible the impact you can have on young soldiers and it was and and sort of even better than that was subsequently bumping into some of those people I trained on, uh, on operations um, and, and them speaking to you and, and remembering who you were coming, saying hello, saying how well they'd done. Um, so yeah, it was, it was really rewarding. In fact, the, not so long ago, probably a couple of years ago, I was out on a, a night out in Islington and I was going into a, a bar and the doorman stopped me and kind of looked at him strangely and he went, Mr. Olji. <laughs> I was like, like, yeah. I was like, ah, oh. I trained you in phase one and it was one of my, one of my phase one recruits who'd, who'd, who'd 
been out so long he'd, he'd done his time in the army and left and was was working on a door in, in North London um, and, and remembered me as his platoon commander from training so, so I must have had some sort of effect because he let me in so well do you know what that's, yeah exactly he could turn you away couldn't he let's, let's face it um, but I think that's testament not only to how you were perceived at the time uh, but also this small community that we're privileged to be part of this veterans community um, and the one that we belong into in the veterans and politics community uh, because you have since then been very active politically um, you know I do follow you on Twitter as well and you know full kudos to you because you're not afraid to shot you don't shy away um, from some of the kind of difficult issues as well um, one of which um, I guess is about the position of black Asian minority ethnic um, po- politicians um, and sometimes you say some quite unpopular things as well uh, so how do you think um, how do you think people are engaging from your community um if we are to use labels like that and you might not accept those labels but but we do need a more diverse politics not just in the look and feel of our politics but the way people think as well that diversity of thought Uh, but how do you think um people from your community are represented across politics these days i think the 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 element of or the angle of race in politics is a really interesting one because it's it's very different depending on which side of the political or which end of the political spectrum you sit on. I think for those on the left, um, race is intertwined with with politics in a very natural way, um, in that it is is seen and accepted as being part of the the identity of the left. To the extent that those on the left assume, perhaps wrongly that most people who aren't white will be will will be left leaning and and that probably is true to be to be quite honest um but at the same time their votes are taken for granted um the the left assumes that that people will vote for them um and and does little to dissuade them or does little to suggest that they should be voting any other way um i've seen i remember seeing some figures um sort of after the 2017 election of the different racial groups and the, the likelihood of them voting either left or right. And I think the group that is least likely to vote conservative is uh, Afro-Caribbean women. Sorry, as in sorry, black Caribbean women are the group that are furthest away from being, being right wing. Whereas um, I think it was male Indian uh, were, were most likely to be uh, right wing. And so, and there's so there's a huge political spectrum. So, so when you know the the term BAME is is now not not used, and I think that's a, a correct decision because to treat everybody as a homogenous group yeah. is is quite you know there's so many differences between the different racial groups that effectively going everyone who isn't white gets lumped together is ultimately it becomes a, a, a fairly damaging thought process because by assuming that everybody thinks the same, you begin to treat people the same, and even within the sort of the, the cultural background characteristics of those different groups. There are so many different beliefs and different um, different ways of doing things that it becomes a, a quite a quite a dangerous situation to start, start assuming that people will behave a certain way. Um, but then conversely, there are a lot of groups that would be socially conservative, um, but perhaps not economically or politically conservative. And so where they sit on the spectrum is perhaps a little bit less clear. And, and we've seen recently sort of there are so many more the conservative party is now so much more diverse than it was previously and i don't think that's because there's necessarily been a recruitment drive i think it's just because people feel confident enough 
to become members of the Conservative Party. Um, I think sort of the reputation that, that the left like to lean on quite hard for conservatives being racist um is is i i think untrue uh and therefore um and therefore people are, are more comfortable in becoming a member of the party and seeing what it is for themselves you know and and people can make those decisions if they join and they they think that those those rumors are well founded then they're free to free to leave again but but the fact that so many people have joined and have stayed and have and we have more mps um suggests that that actually it is a very welcoming a very inclusive uh, organization once you become part of it um and i think that's something that, that the left is slightly it's very convenient for them to, to to lean on that narrative um and, and it's one that i'm quite keen to push back on um and and as you say i'm, I'm not afraid to push back on <laughs> and i think the best way of pushing back on is actually just standing up and serving again so actually being i always say to people if the role models are missing then be the role model so and but you're going to be a role model not only to you know young black men um but also to anyone by just putting yourself forward to veterans um so from pe people from london so yeah i think it's really kind of dangerous when we group people into these homogenous groups uh, and i love the way you've broken that down as well um and it's we've got to be really careful those of us that are in positions of responsibility be that broadcasters be that politicians to use racism um, it's only going to stop people voting because for me, I, you know, I'm in a position where I don't care who people vote for, just as long as they do. Uh, I don't care who people, what party they stand for, just as long as they do. So therefore, it's all of us, our responsibility to encourage um, and where we do have these role models, be they veteran um, or guys from London or black people or white people. We need to really champion that so we can identify people like us that are sat in a similar position, perhaps before we started might then say, do you know what, that, I really link and not identify with that person. That could be me too. Um, so I love what you're doing in terms of your approach to politics. Um, and yeah, you're not afraid to, to take on Twitter. Um, and the, I know when we, we chatted on the phone, um, I know local issues are a big concern to you. And you, again, the one thing that we're not afraid to get involved in is perhaps perceived as the non-sexy issues. You, you get your hands dirty, you get in amongst there. Um, I mean, what is the thing that really drove you into politics? What's that bit that gets you out of bed and makes you give a shit? I think, I think for, for me, I, I never came from a, an overtly political background, you know, I, other than sort of understanding my, my parents' uh, sort of political um, affiliations and, and sort of the way that I was brought up, which, which really brought me into sort of, the, sort of conser taught me conservative values. I didn't come from a, a family where people were uh, politically engaged, members of the local party, etc. Um, and then having been spent sort of the best part of a decade in the army as well, which is, you know, a notoriously apolitical organisation, um, it wasn't something that, that kind of leapt off the page to me. And I don't think it was really until I moved back to London after leaving the army um, and was really thrown into to living in somewhere that wasn't as comfortable as I was used to. So I grew up in sort of leafy southwest London, Surrey, lovely area, um, Dominic Robsey actually, uh, and uh, then sort of went to school in, in, in Kingston, um, joined the army and, and lived in various places, but really realistically kind of lived in rural Wiltshire as much as you live anywhere in the army. Um, and then it wasn't until I sort of moved back to London and ended up living in, in North London that suddenly the the impact of the way that politics works locally really started to hit home. So so the constituency I live in is Hornsey Wood Green. 
Um, it has, I believe, the largest constituency Labour Party in the country. Um, I believe it had the highest momentum membership at the time as well. Um, not that that's probably so much of a factor anymore. Um, but this is an area that, that has sort of, it's within Haringey, it has you know, a hugely high crime rate, um, lots and lots of local issues that, that, are, that are the sort of things that, that you want to, to push back on. You know, I, I think along my road, there's probably five houses that are of illegal, illegal houses of multiple occupancy. There's, there's a few doors down, there's two houses, three bedroom terrace Victorian houses. If you look at the planning application, there's 17 bedrooms between these two houses. There could be over 20 people living there. Bins are overflowing every day. Uh, and, and, you know, there's eight buzzers on the, on the, the doorbell. Um, each, you know, you look at the plans, each one of these is just a single room with like a, an ensuite, but how big is a room in a three bed Victorian terrace house? Um, so those, those are, you know, those issues, uh, as you say, the non-sexy issues, fly tipping, well, that's not a sexy issue, <laughs> but it's one that blights our everyday lives. It's something that if you come out of your house and someone's dumped a broken up chest of drawers five metres away from your front door every day, then those are things that are, that are going to really make you think, I could do something about this. I, I, feel like, I feel like I should campaign to change this because clearly whoever's in charge locally isn't pulling their weight. And, and that's when, that's, sort of, that's what inspired me really to get involved in, in local politics. Um, and I mean, then anyone who's looking to get into politics, you get into local politics and it's a slippery slope because before long you'll find yourself standing against Diane Abbott in a general election. But the, <laughs> it escalated, but, yeah. It escalated quickly. It escalated from fly tip into Diane Abbott, standing yeah, against Diane Abbott. Quickly. Yeah, as you do, yeah. Uh, but but, it's, but it, it, it sort of, it opened that door and it kind of, I'd say, it sounds very cheesy to say, use a phrase like political, politically awakened, but, but it very much f- focused that clarity around how much, we, how much we could do locally to try and change those small things to improve the quality of life. And then you realise you pull a thread on a small thing and quickly you get involved in much bigger things um, and much more serious issues. Just picking up one thing you mentioned about kind of almost the cultural dissonance towards getting involved in politics through service you know the nature of service moving around a bit lack of links to local communities perhaps not even voting as well um i mean did you vote during service i did um but i did but it was it was it always felt like it was at arm's length it always felt like something that that you were you know you'd be engaged with because you would take note of something but but realistically no one's going to knock on your door because you live in a mess no one's going to give you a leaflet because you live in a military camp and they don't come on camp to, to deliver deliver leaflets so you're always slightly outside of the sphere of influence of of whichever politician um was was canvassing for your vote and that's even if you even vote where you're based because i think i probably always traditionally voted back in my my home home location like you know that was the the area that i lived in when i was on leave that's the area that i identified with and, and understood so so to a certain extent it would depend where i was as to as to where i was registered to vote and therefore where i was going to vote um so i think those are elements that do somewhat take you out of the the sort of the, the thought process and perhaps slightly politically disenfranchise yeah i couldn't people. agree even more um and and politics just wasn't really a topic that that came up despite being in the army at the most sort of busy and period of kinetic operations in probably a generation to suggest that you're not politically engaged in the decisions to go overseas and, and um, fighting conflicts sounds probably quite confusing to people listening but but you are slightly removed from that process and, and from questioning those decisions because 
you're going to go and do them it's part of service and it's part of the service and the sacrifice um you're not there to say well actually i disagree with that so i'm i'm, I'm not going to pull my weight it just doesn't work like that you spoke you said that you've used that word that generation kind of the kinetic generation of afghanistan and iraq and we're talking about relatively of young people here right 30s 40s 50s we're just seeing that generation of falklands war veterans just commemorated their anniversary in their 60s and 70s do you think it's now our generation's responsibility to step up and get involved in whatever walk of life of service um, in society whether that be volunteering whether it be standing in elections i mean what are your views about this generation that you come from i think so i think that we look at we look at our veterans now and and realistically people like myself who've been out of the the armed forces for for a relatively long period of time but yet you know we saw during the queen's funeral there's a lot of soldiers on on parade there aren't many medals from from those soldiers Th- those soldiers haven't been in very long and and the operational cycle that that we were part of that that was non-stop for years and years and years just is no longer there i think my, my own my own cousin joined the army sort of slightly after i i left and and has has had a very different military experience to the experience that that i had um in that constant cycle of operations training rest or, you know um so i think that there's a huge wealth of experience that exists amongst people who served um during that time um and and that that sort of that very humbling should we say life experience of of going on operations i mean i was in i was in sangin when i was in afghanistan on our uh, herrick 11 um that was an incredibly difficult tour yeah. um and and knowing the impact that it had both on the the soldiers who fought there um the impact that it's had on them since they came back um these are these are issues that perhaps aren't front and center certainly not in the press as, as they once were um but perhaps aren't even front and center within the armed forces so much anymore because these people have have come and gone um but to harness that that experience and and what we learned while we were there i think is definitely something that that needs to that needs to be brought to the fore i think to to let to let that kind of experience go to waste would be somewhat criminal um and i think uh, it's probably down to, to us as veterans to decide how we want to use that. Um, but I think we should definitely encourage anybody who has that experience to, to try and see what they can do with it. Um, if they feel they've got something to offer, they should absolutely offer it. And that word veteran, right? So the public's perception of that word either is either an American one or it's one of an elderly person. Whereas, as I mentioned in that kind of prelude to that question, we're talking about people in their 30s, 40s and 50s who are veterans, who we may have seen you know, go past the Queen's coffin recently with their medals on, their berets on, and they're, they're young people. So it's how we tap into that I'm really interested in. And that's what I try and do with Campaign Force, trying to espouse the virtues of people standing up and serving again. But it could be any walk of life. I think we're, we've got this kind of almost a golden generation here who've had formative experiences. And if we mobilise this generation uh, through what used to be called the big society um then we're gonna make this place a better place to live in i think um so before we wrap up and perhaps we'll be a little bit less serious um i'm a massive advocate on politics and pets um now we spoke to um ed um mcginnis about his love of cats in a previous episode um not so let's just say effective in elections though larry the cat has a bit of a following at number 10 of course um but i understand you're a bit of a dog lover 
I mean, I, right? I don't wish to speak ill of, of cat people, but uh, but I'm yeah, I'm 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 of the dog persuasion. I don't want to divide the audience. <laughs> all right, cat, dogs versus cats. I grew up with cats. You know, not literally. I mean, I didn't have siblings that were cats, but you know what I mean. Uh, but I have a pr- I'm proud owner of a miniature schnauzer, Monty the general. A big shout out to the uh, chief morale officer that is Monty. Uh, but um, on a serious note, when it comes to campaigning, it's all about that connectivity to our communities. And my own experience is that pets win elections, particularly dogs. What's your view? So <laughs> I'd, lo- I'd love that to be true. Um, so I, I stood in the local elections um, uh, earlier this year and I did, for my sins, put a picture of me and my dog on, on the election leaf. Nice. Um, mostly because she's more photogenic than I am. Uh, and everyone, everyone thinks she's great. Um, but also because, you know, standing in local election in, in the ward that I, that I live in, she gets walked in the, the parks in our ward every, every, every day. Uh, no loads of other local people. Um, so it made, it actually made me identifiable as the guy who owns that dog, annoying though that dog might be. Um, but, and somebody actually came up to me uh, sort of a couple of weeks ago and said like, Oh, you were the guy on the election leaflet. I recognize your dog. So, so, you so, so it does, it does, it does work. Um, but yes, I, I'm a dog person. So, uh, my dog is, she needs two years old now. Um, she's called Leto. Uh, she looks, she's a, a Romanian rescue. So she came over when she was four months old. Um, she is effectively what you get if you mix all dogs together. She is generic dog. And, uh, and compared to sort of your, your cockapoos and your labradoodles, um, she may be, for all we know, 30 generations of street dog. Um, and much as we have trained her so, so hard, she has some definite wild animal characteristics. So she's, she's just about domesticated. Um, but she's, she's, she looks like a miniature wolf, um, but she's absolutely lovely. Uh, so she, she loves a sprint, loves a wrestle, no interest in balls or, or toys, but um, just loves playing with other dogs um, and is affectionate and incredibly intelligent. Worked out how to open the back door, can jump over our six foot fence. She's like, yeah. She's the best. <laughs> so, apart from getting dogs to appear on your leaflets yes. for a political and outside polling stations and outside well. polling stations, <laughs> there's whole Twitter accounts on dogs at polling stations. Look it up; it is amazing. Um, but what would be your kind of final bits of tips and advice for anyone from the armed forces community, or indeed from any community looking at entering politics? Um, for starters, I'd say get involved, um, and that probably means getting involved uh, locally joining your, your local association um, and, and sort of party a, party apolitical, whichever whichever party that might be. Um, join join the, the party that, that obviously you feel most uh, most strongly about and the, the ideology that's, that you support. Um, get involved and see what you can do locally and, and throw yourself into the mix. Um, and if it's something that you want to do at a national level and you want us to, to stand, um, put yourself forward for it. I would say... Definitely engage your family, your other half. Um, it's it's a lot more work than it perhaps looks from the outside, um, and it's a lot more work than you would perhaps imagine if you if you don't know anything about it. Um, lots of time spent campaigning, knocking on doors, walking the streets, um, but time spent just refining what it is you want to do, where you want to stand, where you identify, um, working out local issues. Uh, a, a, it's sort of it's it's a big strain on on a relationship if the other person is not that keen on on your your political um political goals so so that is something to to definitely engage you know like we said earlier about things being selfish 
politics is slightly selfish in in that regard um it, it is a it is a huge commitment um but yes get involved locally um clear it with the rest of your family um before before you begin to to rub them up the wrong way um and have the confidence to 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 think that you have something to offer uh i think there's a, a tendency for people to look at it and think oh i couldn't do that or oh, I, i've got nothing to offer you absolutely do um whether it be the smallest idea that turns into a, a, a sort of a massive local campaign um or whether it's sort of the that that absolutely golden idea that that, that wins an entire election uh you have something to, to offer and be that whether it's an extra pair of hands sticking a leaflet through a door or whether that's ultimately becoming the prime minister uh you you can have that impact um but it's having that confidence and, and the military teaches you to be very humble you probably have to be slightly less humble uh, to get to get into politics and, and be successful uh so so there is certainly something slightly counterintuitive parts to it um but yes uh have the confidence to get involved clear it with your family and get involved locally ben it's been absolutely a pleasure sat down and talk to you mate brilliant speak again soon thank you very much Salesforce is actively pursuing, through its friends within the MOD and the Veterans Advisory and Pension Committees, to make veteran data obtainable in a compliant way to the Office of Veterans Affairs. This will have a significant impact in understanding the needs of the veteran community nationally, but also act as a conduit to better enable the VAPCs and local government to understand their veteran communities to help those most in need. Salesforce can bring this vision to light, allowing all veterans to stand up and serve again. And we're enormously grateful for their support in helping us produce this podcast.